there goes as far as just saying I enjoy watching them. I have nothing else to offer. I have nothing to complain about concerning the sense of, of trying to say, you know, here's my two cents, take it, because they're not going to listen. The, 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 the fandom is there, but the devotion just goes to, yeah, I enjoy watching them. This is not what it was for Paul. It was not a, yeah, I enjoy being around them. No, this is my heart is knit with them. I love these individuals. I care for these individuals. There's a devotion there. And he says, therefore, my brethren. He then goes on and takes it a step further. Not only my brethren, but my dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. He emphasizes that statement, my dearly beloved. Two times you're going to see in this early portion of scripture that Paul is going to use certain words to emphasize as he's trying to get the attention of the people. In verse number one, he uses the statement, dearly beloved, two different times. In verse number two, he uses the statement, beseech, two different times. In verse number four, he uses the word rejoice two different times. So he's trying to emphasize to these individuals certain things that they need to pay attention to. So in verse number one, he is making it known that he cares for these individuals. He loves them. He's for them. He's on their side. He's on their team. And so you see his affection here. His confidence does not rest in himself, and his confidence that he desires for them to have, he does not desire for it to rest in himself either. He says, so stand fast in the Lord. And so he is making these things known concerning his affection and his motivation and also the warning that he gives. The warning that he gives is now found in verse number two as he uses that word beseech two different times. As you go and you walk through the, the book of Philippians, you'll find that Paul is making it very clear that his one aim, his one goal, his one desire is always and will always be the ministry heartbeat of Paul is the gospel. That is where you would find Paul's emphasis. That would where you would find Paul's desire, his motivation, his love. Everywhere he want, went, he was emphasizing the gospel. That is why that Paul was able to say that, hey, if someone were to die right this very moment, their blood will not be on my hands because every person that I met with, every conversation that I had with any soul, the gospel was presented. They were given the gospel. They knew that, hey, this is Paul. His life has been changed. They knew that Jesus changed his life and Jesus could change theirs. And so Paul was very careful in letting the people know that this is all about the gospel. So in chapter number 4, as he uses that word, therefore, he's backing up again in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 3. He's making it known that our, our mindset and our conversation and our, our lives ought to be geared towards the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now you come to verse number 2. Verse number two, after we've seen everything in verse number one and tried to unpack every statement that Paul made in verse number one alone, because there's a lot. My brethren, dearly beloved, longed for, my joy, crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. There's a lot there. He now transitions. It's kind of a situation I remember uh, certain times and, you know, growing up uh, every once in a while, and my stepdad can testify to this, once a year probably I would get a whooping. Uh, about once a year, maybe once every three years or so. And um, I was a very well-behaved child. And uh, now my brother, on the other hand, was about once every four hours, you know, just a troublemaker. No. But you know how this goes every once in a while. But I remember that there would be times whenever we would be waiting in our room, we'd get in trouble for something, and we would be go told to go and just sit on the bed and wait. And this is typically how it would go. Typically, we'd be waiting there. Sometimes it was five minutes. Sometimes it was 25 minutes. Just depends on, you know, how long they felt to just leave us in there. And, you know, the waiting is the worst part, right? 
I mean, you're, you're ready to get back to the activities. You're ready to get back. You're ready to just kind of get it over with. But every single time they would walk in and uh, there was only a, a couple of times where my mom would want me because I remember specifically Rick was deployed or he was in Georgia, I think, and he was traveling back. And I remember I'd gotten in trouble for something. And uh, I was waiting and Rick's gone. So, you know, we're, we're trying to take advantage every once in a while. And, uh, you know, we got in trouble and my mom comes in there and she spanks me and I turned and I don't advise this young people, but I turn, I remember and saying, is that all? probably not the wisest thing to do. And it definitely wasn't wise because Rick was on his way home and I didn't know. And so the, the, the short story is no, that was not all go ahead and wait. Your stepfather's on his way home. Right. But I I remember that when we'd be waiting, the, the statement would typically be made, you know, I love you, right? Yes. I know you love me. Well, here's why you're getting a whooping. Now follow for just a moment because Paul is addressing two individuals in the local church, as a matter of fact, in this pastor's scripture. And this is the vibe that you find in this pastor's scripture. Paul is pouring every, every fiber of himself into these people, and it's as though you get the feeling in verse number one that he says, you know I love you, right? My dearly beloved, longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. But then he transitions. I love you. We got to address this. We got to handle this. He says this, I beseech two times. He says, I beseech Iodias and I beseech Sinchi that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. So verse number one, you, you get the sense that Paul is reminding the people, hey, you know I care about you. I love you. I'm for you. As a matter of fact, as you continue reading the next couple of verses, he even uses statements like labored with me in the gospel and my fellow laborers reaffirming that, that, hey, I'm for you. I'm on your team. This is one one effort that we're trying to put forth. But he begins to bring some things to their minds. And so notice three things that we see in this passage of scripture as we continue to think on this mindset of being of the same mind in one accord. Number one, we see Paul has some concerns here. In verse number two, he begins to make these concerns known and he is trying to get them to understand what his concerns are. Now, these were not doctrinal issues that Paul was going to address because they were not doctrinal issues that he was having to address. They were just common situations where there might have been a difference of opinion or there might have been something that they were not agreeing on. And so he is dealing with this in these two individuals that he is dealing with. But he uses the word beseech two different times. You know, there, there, I remember there were certain times whenever you would, we would, might, would get in trouble. And as children, you know, even just the other day, me and uh, Kelly were having to get on to Jackson and Holly. And you know how this is, is, is you're getting on to your children. If you say one of their names, the other one's giggling over there, happy that you're getting on the other one, right? Jackson, stop. Holly's over there, you know, and then you have to say, Holly, you too. And so he's addressing both of them. He's calling to their attention, letting them know, hey, this needs to be dealt with. And so he is trying to once again cultivate this mindset of being in one accord, the same mind. And he begins to remind them that the goal needs to be the gospel. The emphasis here is the gospel. 
He later on, in verse number three, uses the statement, labored with me in the gospel. My fellow laborers. You see, this word beseech, it's used two different times to clarify and also address here. Maybe for just a a few minutes as he was addressing this, there might have been a a certain spirit of undermining or unappreciation or an unhappy spirit or unforgiveness or just very upset about some things. But whatever it was, he's dealing with it and he begins to call on the church to address it as well as he says, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Now, as you walk through the word of God, you'll find that there's a lot to be said about this subject matter of unity. Back up for just a moment to chapter number two. Chapter number two, for just a moment, you'll see in verse number 14 that the Bible says, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy, and notice these next words, and rejoice with you all. Paul was emphasizing all throughout Scripture Here in a few verses on down, verse number 20 of chapter number 2, he says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. And so all throughout the book of Philippians, he's using that subject matter of mind or like-minded or in one accord. And he is emphasizing these things because he is trying to get them to understand there needs to be a unity among the local church. There needs to be a unity among the brethren. There needs to be a a unity among the the, the common goals and the effort here. In chapter number 4, He also makes the statement as he is dealing with this, and he's trying to get their attention in verse number two, as he says that they be of the same mind. Again, this is dealing with their mind and also their life. So their approach, the way that they go about things, the way that they do things. I remember whenever I was playing high school basketball, my coach, Coach Harmon, would always get so frustrated when we would use the the term in in practice or in a game, whenever we would make a bad play or whenever we would do something and there would be a mistake, he would get so so worked up when we would say, I thought. I thought. And I remember he would get so worked up, he'd say, well, stop thinking and just do it the right way. And you're thinking, I'm trying, coach. I'm trying. But here's what he is dealing with here in verse number two. He says that they be of the same mind. As you think about this mindset here, the one common goal, he continuously brings it back as he uses and emphasizes the gospel. In chapter number one, as we dealt with it last week, there were many mentions of the gospel, the fellowship of the gospel, the defense of the gospel, the confirmation of the gospel, all of these many things striving together. And so this warning here that he is bringing attention to concerning his concern, it was a a personal thing. He's making it known, hey, I beseech you and I beseech you. It was a personal thing, but it was also pointed. He was not sugarcoating it. He was making it known that it needed to be addressed. And as you walk through Scripture, I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful that we do not read a Word of God that kind of sugarcoats things. I'm grateful that whenever I'm reading the Word of God, that there are times whenever I get convicted and there are times whenever I'm sitting there and thinking, that's a little uncomfortable. And the Lord and the Holy Spirit is dealing with me and saying, they ought to be uncomfortable. 
It ought to be dealt with. It ought to be addressed. And as you begin to think about your own personal life, and as you think about the local church, the Lord desires for us, in verse number two, to be of the same mind. Number two, not only do we see his concern, but we see his challenge here. Verse number three, he uses the statement, and I entreat thee also. Verse number three, he says, labored with me in the gospel. Verse number three, he makes the statement, my fellow laborers. And so as you think about the work of God moving forward, as he is dealing with this in this passage of scripture, he is making it very clear that this is a serious matter and this is a serious work. The work of God is a serious work. It's not something to be taken very just carelessly or just kind of flippantly. Every opportunity that we are given, we are all to be taking that very serious and saying, I want to make a difference in the present right this very moment. I don't want to look back and say, I should have done this. I should have done that. No, make sure that you are prepared to do all that God has for you to do in the midst of the work. And so he is making it very clear concerning these statements that he is making labored with me in the gospel and my fellow laborers. And so as he is dealing with this, this word yoke fellow for just a moment. It speaks of one that is a fellow worker. It speaks of one that is a a teammate, rather. It speaks of one that they're pulling together and they're working together and they're doing a great work. As you walk on through this passage of Scripture, you'll find that as he says this, and I treat thee also a true yoke fellow, help those women. That word help speaks of to take hold together, to assist, if you would. The word labored here that he is making mention of in verse number three, it speaks of striving together, being of the same mind, moving forward. And so this is exactly what it looks like. Jared, come on up here for just a moment. Paul is saying as he is dealing with this and he is dealing with the subject matter of of serving the Lord and working together that as they get on the same mind, they're linked arm in arm and they're walking hand in hand, side by side, working together, working for the gospel. Laboring together. Come on now, get a little stronger now. Someone's got to lead. Working together. Laboring together. And here's what he is emphasizing as well in the midst of this chapter here. There's no reason for division here. There's no reason. I'm not against you and you're not against me. We're on the same team. And so I'm not jealous when the Lord uses you to lead someone to the Lord, and you should not be jealous when I lead someone to the Lord. Here's why. Because it's not about us. It's about that soul. It's about eternity. And so Paul is dealing with this, and he is reminding the people, hey, we've labored together. Let's get back to what's important here. Let's get back to to the real deal. Let's get back to what we're trying to do in the work of the Lord. That's why in Paul's writings, whenever Paul is dealing with the concerns of the people, he says, hey, don't be concerned for me. Uh, the Lord will take care of me. The gospel is advancing. The work of God is advancing. Do not be concerned. Let's link up together. Let's do a work. And so he uses this statement. You can go back and be seated. He uses this statement right here in verse number three. And I treat thee also. I plead with you. I encourage you. I bid you, true yoke fellow, laborers rather, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. With Clement also. With my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. And so he is dealing with the challenge here. He is calling action to the church and saying, hey, this is the goal. This is the aim. Number three, and finally we see this, the clarification here in verse number four. I love verse number four. It's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture and one of my favorite verses in this book. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. You know, there, there are times in our lives whenever we think we have reason to gripe. 
And we have reason to fuss, and we have reason to just be angry, and we have reason for us getting angry with the Lord and doubting God and all of this. Take your Bibles for just a moment, because we see a very valuable principle in the book of Habakkuk. In the book of Habakkuk, as you go and you look at this great book of the Bible, you'll find that in this book of the Bible, we see valuable principles that are right before our very eyes as we deal with Scripture and we take it as it is. And we read in this portion of Scripture in the book of Habakkuk, the very last few verses, as a matter of fact, in the book of Habakkuk, as it is dealing with the the very simple truths of God's Word concerning rejoicing and why we ought to be rejoicing. In the book of Habakkuk, the very last few words in chapter number 3. If you're familiar with the book of Habakkuk, there's a lot of passion in this book. A lot of enthusiasm in this book. The Bible says in verse number 17, and this is one of those verses where it continues to get worse and worse. You say, Pastor, you just don't understand. I'm going through this. I'm going through this. It's getting worse and worse. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail. The field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there is no there shall no be no herd in the stalls. You say, wow, that's a, that's a lot. Hey, if all that's going on, you have a reason to be angry. No, 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 no. He says this, verse number 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Now, if you take this passage of Scripture and you begin to cross-reference, you're going to find many, many passages of Scripture dealing with the reason and the portrait of uh, the picture, rather, of rejoicing the Lord and understanding why we rejoice. Can I ask you a question? Do you only rejoice in God for the blessings he gives you? Is that your reason for rejoicing? You say, well, if if God blesses me, then I'll rejoice. No, 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 no. It's not about that. As you get along with the Lord and you just begin to, to read God's word this morning as I was driving to the church. I was on the back road and coming up the back road and I could see the sun rising over the hill. As I was watching the sun just rising over the hill there, I was just in awe of just the beauty right before my very eyes. And at that very moment, I was reminded of all the many things the Lord is reminding us. I was looking at that beautiful porch. I was thinking, man, that's special right there. Uh, That's beauty right there. That that sun is coming up over that hill, and I'm seeing the beautiful sunset, and I'm seeing all the many things as I'm looking around. It's just very quiet. You roll the window down, you don't hear anything. Hardly anybody's on the road at that point in time. You just, it's just the wind. And I was reminded in that very moment that sometimes one of the greatest things for us to do is just stop and pause and be reminded of all the Lord truly is to us. Oh, as you stop and you say, Lord, I don't want to just praise you for for what you've done for me, because if you were to stop and praise him for what what he's done for you, you'd be here for a long time and you'd probably miss quite a bit. How many times we go about our days and we miss all of what God has done? And in chapter number four, the book of Philippians, he makes this statement, rejoice in the Lord. He says this, always, always. He makes it very clear as he is dealing with this subject matter of always here. And that word always is a very powerful statement because it just reminds us that no matter what, rejoice in the Lord. I was with our teenagers this past Wednesday and I was sharing with them a little bit of, uh, of sometimes how we will 
And you, we've all done this. Let's just say for just a few moments, you get bad news. Nothing that's life-threatening, nothing that's life-altering, just kind of a, a, just a, a situation that whatever, you know, it's, it, you're going to endure it. I told them my, my word for the year has been the word sure. So Brother John or Brother Zach will let me know something on Monday and I'll say sure. It's my way of saying, well, why not, right? Hey, we need to get this, this broke or whatever. Well, sure. And there's a, a flippant way sometimes that we use the statement, praise the Lord. Here's the way it's used oftentimes. Bad news comes your way. Well, praise the Lord. Hey, I, I just wanted to let you know, <laughs> um, this, this not good news will praise the Lord. And I was convicted of this. I was reading the other day, and I was reading in a, a book of how to stay in the ministry my whole life. And as I was reading that, I picked up another book on pastoral leadership, and as he was, they were both dealing with this subject matter, one of them made the statement. They said, when we use that, it's as though we're using the Lord's name in vain. Well, praise the Lord. Can I share with you, I'm guilty of that. How many times has news come my way and it's nothing to truly praise the Lord about, but I say, well, praise the Lord. Well, sure. No, that's not what he's dealing with here. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You see, joy is not an accident of temperament, nor is it unpredictable, but it is a matter of choice that we all have to make. As you begin to think about what the Lord is doing in your own life and what the Lord desires to do in the midst of our church, you see a couple of strong principles concerning this statement, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. You see the object of what we praise and why we praise, and it's found in the Lord alone. You say, why should I praise the Lord? Well, let's go back to Calvary for a few moments. When was the last time you went to Calvary? When was the last time you opened the gospel accounts and began to read all of what Jesus Christ did on that cross and the journey that he took to get there and what he did afterwards and all of what he has done for you? You see, as you go back to Calvary and you begin to read the Word of God, it ought to move you to action to share the gospel with someone. The object of praise, but then you go and you see these words, Rejoice in the Lord. Always and again I say rejoice. You know what that's saying? You. Me. Paul's saying, hey, you. Rejoice in the Lord. Hey, and again I say, rejoice. So in these very few verses... Start out chapter 4 of the book of Philippians. You see Paul's concerns outlined here. But he quickly changes gears and changes course. And he begins to challenge the people. And he begins to clarify, hey, the emphasis of all of our lives and all the days of our lives ought to be the gospel. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Can I encourage you this evening, as we think about all the Lord has done in our church and all the Lord has done in each of our lives, I believe we have a lot to thank the Lord and praise the Lord for. Paul, in chapter number four of the book of Philippians, is reminding us that as we have taken this theme in one accord, you can mark it down. One of the ways the devil is going to try to discourage the work of God is he's going to try to use us against each other. That's how it happens. The devil is going to say, well, if I can't discourage you, I'll use you against each other. Let's be in one accord of the same mind. You say, well, what do we need to do? Let's give ourselves to this right here. Let's give ourselves to the Word of God. Let's give ourselves to the will of God, and let's give ourselves to the work of God. 
Because there are people out in this community, there are people that we come in contact with that are looking for true Christians and genuine individuals that say, hey, it's all about Him. We have no motive here. We're not against each other. We're striving together. We're of one mind. We're in one accord. We have one common goal, and His name is Jesus.